Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, I think they need a friendlier voice for that. I say it every time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Claire. Um, I don't know if you want to start just by giving us like a little spiel about what you do. You can share everyone your book, your YouTube channel. And then we've had a few questions come in already. And then if anyone else listening has got any questions, please just chuck your name in the chat or put a little hand up and then we'll come to you after that. So over to you. Hi everybody, it's great to be here today. Thank you so much for taking the time out to watch. Um, uh, I am Claire Maxted from Wild Ginger Running. So I run a YouTube channel. It's all about trail and ultra running. So there's a new film every week about some aspect of trail or ultra running. So it's like maybe a gear review, as you can see from all the shoes behind me there. I'm just plowing through those at the moment. Or there's nutrition advice or there's interviews with famous people and experts like Carla. So like, for example, you might have seen um, I interviewed Carla at the National Running Show. So I'm putting a series out at the moment about um, lots of different tips for ultra running. Um, so pacing is one of the most um, recent ones there. Um, so I've also written a book um, called The Ultimate Trail Running Handbook. So that's just got like loads of advice about gear and nutrition, loads of recipes in there, injury prevention moves, um, strength moves as well. This was before I knew Carla. So if I had known Carla at this point, I would have definitely got her in the book to do some strength moves. And there's training plans as well from 5K to 50K. Um, and yeah, so I used to be the editor of Trail Running Magazine. So I founded... Um, co-founded that with my team in 2020 worked on that for seven years and for seven years I kept interviewing athletes and coaches and everybody says how important strength and conditioning is I never actually did it um, fast forward I don't know is it 10 years later now yes yeah, 12, 12 years later actually and 
now I'm actually doing some strength and conditioning, but that was only because I met Carla at the National Running Show and then suddenly something clicked and I was just like, why am I not doing this? So now since meeting her, I've done it once a week religiously and I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> awesome. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. I don't know what it was. It was just like yeah. all of a sudden. I think it was because you said like you'd done so many like loads of different things like Le Jog and now Comrades and everything like that. And you said that the only reason you were injury free was because of the strength and conditioning. So I just I just suddenly suddenly occurred to me yes I get injured all the time why don't I do this so now I do (laughs) yeah and I think on that like it's just finding a way to consistently get it into your program like I think a lot of people think oh you have to go to a gym four or five times a week to make a difference but actually it's just those little building blocks and just doing a little bit every week actually has an accumulative benefit that's way more than doing it five times a week for three months and then hating the gym and never going back (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, I thought that I had to do like a really long session. Like, I mean, even half an hour, I can get a bit bored. So I thought I had to do like an hour to a half an hour to an hour. But then when you said like, even if you do 10 minutes a day, then that's better than nothing and could be better than it's never it's definitely better than never doing an hour a week, isn't it? So I think that made it super easy. And And actually now I quite enjoy it. I do it on a Wednesday um, and now on Monday as well. And I get my weights out and I I like step up and down on my bench and I make up loads of crazy exercises. I just follow people like you and steal free things off Instagram and and, uh, just make it up as I go along. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think with that, we'll go on to our first question from... uh, Rachel, I don't know if it, Rachel, was it you that emailed that in or was it a different Rachel? Uh, no, that wasn't me. Okay, cool. I thought I'd just check before. <laughs> um, oh, Rachel. <laughs> so Rachel's asked a really great question um, and she said that she's training for London Marathon at the moment and should she keep on doing strength and conditioning up to the race? So what I do, if it is my A race, then I don't do any strength and conditioning for the 10 days before the race, because I think it is really, really important to rest, let all those benefits of the training sink in. You also just don't want something silly to happen, like you drop a weight on your foot, you know, something <laughs> like that. You need to, when you're going into a race, like eliminate anything that could happen. And yeah, you definitely, if it is an A race, 10 days before, I don't do any S&C. So before Comrades, I um, pre-recorded some of the sessions. So I wouldn't have to do it the week of the race and also the week after because I knew I wouldn't be able to walk, which I couldn't for a week. <laughs> Mainly because you popped your blisters with a safety pin. <laughs> well, that race is brutal. So yeah, if it's an A race, definitely don't do any in that 10 days before. You can keep on doing yoga and some gentle mobility. Um, that's absolutely fine. I would say if it is uh, like a BC race, one that you're just using as a training race, you're not too bothered about, then you could probably do SNC on like the Monday, Tuesday of that week of your race, but I wouldn't actually do it any later. So I definitely wouldn't do it like Thursday, Friday if your race is Saturday, Sunday. So yeah, B races, C races, I always, I still do S&C in the week before, but A races definitely not for 10 days before the race. So that's my little thing on when to put S&C. And I think that is a great question. Um, also, after the race, it kind of depends how you feel. So like for comrades for a week, I literally couldn't walk. Um, and 
I waited a week to do any yoga or SNC, but actually when I started doing it again, it was just nice to move in a slightly different way and have that like body awareness. It can also sometimes pull out, you know, if you've got a little niggle or picked up anything from a race, doing that SNC and yoga um, can highlight those points. And I haven't used weights for like the first two weeks of SNC after my race. You know, you can just do everything body weight, just really nice and easy but you want to let your body recover um afterwards so yeah that's that does anyone listening have any questions for claire oh i've got a question for you first i just when you were talking about not doing snc for the 10 days before your a big race i just wondered how often do you personally do your snc um so i do snc um once a week um and then i so the SCY, SNC once a week. I have started doing um, a heavier weights program um, once a week, which I'm going to film over the next couple of weeks. And that will be available for everyone within the SCY group. Um, and then I do core twice a week, um, okay. so different core exercises and then yoga once. So. so when you film yours for the group, that is that you doing a session? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, like the the bigger weights one is going to be a little bit different to how the program's normally structured, just because you need to be in a gym and the time that it takes to do the exercises is going to vary differently. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to film how to do the weight and then give everyone like a crib sheet on how you can actually break down um, break down the session, just because for that one, you actually need to do it in, in your own time. It doesn't quite work in the same same format but yeah I think there's there's a place for heavier weights you don't you don't need to do it I've only been doing it for the past few months adding that second session in um I definitely think you want to get consistent with the one a week ones that we normally do first before taking it up to to heavier weights in a gym yeah I did um I did my personal training course a few years ago and we did some Olympic powerlifting and it's it was amazing because I never thought of weights as a cardio activity before um unless obviously you're combining it with like step-ups and, and like yeah. burpees and stuff and it was just amazing how much the heart was beating on like doing that clean jerk and mm. it was actually like really fun I found it a really fun um thing to do I'd never done anything like that before so mm. I think that's really great that you're doing the heavier weightlifting it's, it's it's just it's fun isn't it yeah my favorite game in the gym at the moment is when the guys are using the squat rack before me and they're like do you want me to take help you take the weights off I'm, like, <laughs> I'm putting more on yeah <laughs> yeah you should go up to them and say can I help you all right with that <laughs> it's like overtaking cyclists when I'm running it's like my oh. favorite sport. <laughs> wow that is funny <laughs> mainly mountain bikers on trails that's when yeah uphill on a mountain bike you can be the same speed as a runner can't you (laughs) and they smash past you as soon as you get to a downhill but oh yeah yeah but they're cheating (laughs) um cool I've got a question for you you did a really great um video on running poles could you give us um like a couple of tips on how to use running poles and how to train with them like anything that you learned from that video yes so um I just thought running poles before I made that video I think it was with lucky poles um before I made that video I just thought oh you just pick the poles up and you just don't 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 
it's not rocket science. Apparently it is rocket science. And there's all sorts of training that goes with it. So I've experienced a few training classes now. And um, basically they start you off just walking, kind of trailing the poles behind you, um, just kind of hands by the sides. Um, And then once you sort of you sort of kind of instinctively start to move your arms at that point, just walking. Um, And then you'll find that the poles sort of stab behind you a little bit. Cause I thought you kind of lifted the pole and planted it forward and then pushed down. But actually it's much more of a, when you're running, you're just kind of um, letting the arm move naturally. And then the pole just naturally just kind of drops to the ground a bit nearer to the foot. It's not like flinging it out in front and stabbing it and pulling. It's just sort of like, um as best I can describe it without actually standing in a circle in the garden um you sort of the pole sort of stabs down near your foot area and then you just you actually push off um as it's kind of going behind you so so I thought that was quite an interesting thing because I'd always just thought you sort of like planted it in front and then pushed but it's actually just a natural drop and then it sort of naturally drops beside your leg and you push backwards on the pole so I don't know if that is as clear but that's what I found and especially using those lecky poles that I was using that you're in a special glove I don't have a pair to show you just here but you're in a special glove that actually attaches you to the pole so you can actually just go like this and the poles are still attached to you so that makes it much more easy to do that sort of fling out action and just let the pole drop and be pushing backwards with the pole um so yeah that's one tip another tip that I do have is when you're using poles um if someone's really close behind you and you have to go up a steep bit or climb a stile then make sure that they're a good distance away because all of a sudden you can be picking them up and stab someone in the eye that is another good tip um there's two types of pole as well um well three types you've got the ones that collapse down um you've got the fixed ones that don't collapse down and then you've got these variable ones where you can vary vary the length of them and they also collapse down as well so i have actually i think i've got three types there to show you i'm just actually doing a, a poll review for harrier so I've got their latest polls in, which is quite exciting. I don't know if anyone's heard of Harrier. Hoka don't make polls, so they're not treading on anyone's toes here. No, um, don't worry about treading on toes. <laughs> this, this is their latest poll. Um, and it's uh, the, uh, the Helvellyn Carbon Pro. So I'm testing these at the moment. Um, so these are a good example of a poll which is just... Uh, a fixed length so these are 120 centimeters first I would advise you to get a pole which is variable to start with so that you can find your perfect length before you invest in a pair like this which is it it, it doesn't work you have to make sure it clips there you go it's clipped out there yeah so you have to make sure that um you've got the right length um and then uh yeah you just um Put your hand in. Oh, go away, cat. <laughs> computer. <laughs> they love the computer. It's so warm, isn't it, for them to sit on? So yeah, you just pop your hand under like that, um, and yeah, yeah, grab it nice and comfy like that. And then you can sort of see it, how you're not kind of 
using it to kind of jab forwards and then haul yourself along you're just letting it drop back and then pushing when you get to that angle there um so yes uh that's a quick pole 101 just a couple of tips um yeah, yeah I really well. like the lecky little glove that you get as well because yeah yeah it just feels really comfy it's and I heard yeah. speaking to a girl last week who said she was doing a trail race and like you said someone was in front of her flung his pole back and it went right up into her <gasps> nose and burst oh all blood I'm like horrific <laughs> oh that's terrible I've never heard it actually happening before but yeah it's it's really really lethal um and you can also if you're trying to overtake people and they're using poles you've got to be really careful to give them a really wide berth because sometimes they their pole kind of flings out and you can trip over it as well especially in low light or, or the dark yeah. I found uh, I'll just show you that probably the pole that you'd want to get first is something more like this with which has got um a variable uh adjustment on it right sorry I'm just gonna have to shut the cat out and ask my husband to feed him if that's what he wants random cat (laughs) I would also say on um poles what is actually like when you look at trail runners using them it's actually quite difficult to see but if you go and look at cross-country skiers and see how they use their poles for both skating and for classic so they use the two technique or the double poling um I find like it's a lot easier to watch it in a skier um because it's a very very similar um what's the word um principles around using poles in the same way but it's a little bit easier to see it on a skier than someone like running in a wood where there's a lot of distraction going on yeah I agree definitely and I was just going to show this um adjustment here this is if you want to start using poles I would get a pair of poles which which basically adjusts like this so this is the Harrier Helvellyn pole and it goes from 105 centimetres all the way up to 120. Um, don't take it past there because the pole will come apart. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can just figure out there what your most comfortable length is. But also you want the pole at different lengths for different um, different types of terrain. So if you're going uphill, you might want to make them a little bit shorter. And if you're going downhill, you might want to make them a little bit longer. Personally, I can't be bothered to faff around with poles if I'm in the middle of a race. But if you're out hiking, doing hiking training or um, doing some uphill running training with the poles, then you might want to do that. But you'll find that you kind of settle on one specific length. Um, and that's when you want to upgrade into some lighter poles, which don't have this adjustment on. They're just one length for you. Um, and the other thing to think about with poles is how you're going to store them on your backpack. Um, so you won't want to be using your poles all the time necessarily. Um, sometimes if there's some technical ground, you might need to use your hands or sometimes um, it's too tricky sometimes going downhill to use poles because you've got to think about four placements rather than just two. So sometimes you won't want to use your poles. Um, so think about where they're going to go on your pack. There's so many different options on different packs for where to put poles. Um, some have them um, across your front so like some have them here I had a raid light pack where it had two bits of elastic on the straps you can have it here um the salmon do a a pole quiver where it's just a like a bag like an arrow quiver 
like in the medieval times and you just slot it back in there you you want to practice that before you're in a big race obviously like with all these things but you're not kind of I don't know stabbing someone or it's not a massive effort for you to go like that some people will be carrying their bowls here and here um some backpacks have them right on the back as well you've got to make sure with that that you can get them tight enough so they don't just constantly bash you in the back um, so that's another thing with poles. It's not just the using of the poles, but the carrying of the poles. You want to make sure they're um, uh, light enough as well. And you can get some, you can get lighter versions, but they tend to be more expensive. And the, the most lightweight versions you can get are very, very slim. They're the, the Trailblaze Mountain King Trailblaze poles. They're really, really light. They're like 100 grams but you can't put your full weight on them so take that into consideration if you're using your poles for doing um a race where you're doing river crossings or something like that because you want a sturdy pole that you can really put all your weight on if you're going to be using them to do river crossings rather than just hanging along on smooth tracks making yourself propel propelling yourself faster so yes um yeah anything else about the poles no, I think um, good shout on like where you put them. Like I like to have them along the bottom of my back, like you said, tight in. But um, I found that mine bounced a little bit. So actually on my race belt, I just sewed like a couple more pieces of elastic just to hold it in. I think sometimes, you know, the race vests are not perfect and you can customize them. So yeah. You can chuck another bit of elastic. You can chuck some Velcro um, to make it more comfortable. You don't have to go out and buy new stuff. So I've definitely found just that extra bit of elastic held it on quite tight. But you also need to practice like running quite fast with them, especially downhill, because Mm -hmm. that's when they're going to jingle. If you just practice like running slowly uphill, they're not going to move that much. So make sure wherever you end up placing your poles, you practice running quite at the speed that you're going to be in a race when your poles are stashed, because that's when you're going to find if they bounce or, or move, move around. Definitely. Um, Graham, did you have a question? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I forgot you'd muted me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I asked it on the, on the, um, the app. Yeah. Um, the other week and you said to come in here and ask um, I think it was this session that you meant so I'm planning on an FKT it's a fair old distance and I'm going to need to average around about 44 miles a day I think so do, is it best to plan an average distance per day or have a set time let's say I'm going to run for 18 hours and I know then I've got six hours break or actually look at the route and decide well today it's a bit hilly I'll only get 30 miles done the next day I might get 50 miles done because it's a bit flatter um which FKT are you doing again uh Welsh Cross Path how far is that 870 miles 880 miles nice <laughs> wow are you doing that all in one go or are you doing it over a week and then coming back to it no I'm doing it in one go so wow. the target's 20 days, 10 hours at the moment, but that'll get broken, I think, um, some point. By April you? Time. No, wow. not by me. I think someone else is going to break it first. No, you've got to sneak in there. You never know. <laughs> yeah, oh, what an exciting challenge. When are you planning on doing it, Graham? Um, the end of May going into June, I think. Cool. Um, yeah, so it's a really good question. Like, the thing with the Welsh Coastal Path is it's 
quite savage with like all the the hills that you're going to go up. So when I did the jog, I basically had. So what I did for my plan, which I think will probably work similar for you, is I got the full distance and then I broke it down into how many days I wanted to do it in. So I wanted to do it in 11 and a half days because then that gave me a 24 hour buffer window um, for if anything went wrong. And with like multi-day stuff like this, you need quite a big buffer. So for like 20 days, you probably want to give yourself like a two day window. Um, So I would say get that total distance and divide it by 18. Like you don't have to go. Okay. That will give you like a rough distance to hit each day. Um, So I always had that as my first goal um, was to try and hit that distance that I had set each day. I then once I plotted the route, I would see where I was staying each night. So I might, you know, some days might be five miles shorter, five miles longer. I then had three goals for the day so one a goal was to reach the distance that I'd planned to do so let's just say 100k a day um my b goal was to go from 5 a.m in the morning till 10 p.m at night that was my cutoff because on these multi-day things sleep is really important and yes the last couple of days if you're on for the record you're probably going to have to go through the night without sleeping but you don't want to start that early because you're just going to dig yourself into a hole and then my third goal was that a minimum in a day I would do for me it was 100k so I either had to do the distance I set which was 112 roughly 10 a.m 5 a.m till 10 p.m or minimum of 100k so like one day I think we got to like 99.5 and the guy's like the van's here I was like absolutely no way we're going 500 (laughs) (laughs) so I think you know having those three goals it means that you know you can kind of you're going to have to probably change your plan a little bit each day hopefully some days the terrain will be a little bit um more forgiving so you'll be able to get maybe a tiny bit more distance in um some days it might be a bit harder where you'll have to dial that distance back um but yeah with fkts definitely plan for that two day window so then that basically if or if you've had a really hard day and you haven't quite hit the distance you're then going to start to creep into those two days but it means because you've got 48 hours you don't have to panic because it's quite a big amount of time so and you probably won't see those slippages in miles until probably the halfway point hopefully so I think yeah, that's that's how I would do it. That's how I did do it. And I think it worked really well, having that slight flexibility in there. Um, are you planning on taking a rest day or are you just going all the way through? No, just going straight away through. I don't think the terrain and the time that you need to do it in yeah. allows for a rest day. Yeah. And I think like doing stuff like people told me, they're like, oh, you're well ahead. Like, why don't you have a rest day? Because everything is hurting so much, actually having one day off when you're doing stuff like this actually doesn't make a difference. You need two weeks off and you need to sleep constantly and eat loads to actually have the benefit. Um, So, yeah, you just got to, I mean, you're good at it, but suck up the pain a little bit if you're going for a record like this. Where are you going to stay along the route? Is it Are you doing it self-supported or supported? 
I'll be doing it supported. So I'll, I've got a, a van that I can sleep in and stuff. So um, I think that's what Reese did. Reese Jenkins, he holds the record. I think that's what he started doing. But when he did um, the jog, he was adamant he was staying in a hotel because his wife was with him and she was pregnant. But I think he used that as an excuse because he didn't like sleeping in the van. I've chatted to him and he said sleeping in the van was the worst thing that he could do because it just wasn't as comfy as a hotel. Yeah, and like I agree. Like I slept in a van for the first three days of the jog and then I was like, absolutely no way. And luckily I had a really nice guy that sponsored like hotels for the rest of the way up. And it's just like, if you can find places to stay and people are so nice, you know, if you put it out there, there's people on the route that will be able to, that will, that will give you a room for tonight and for a night. And I really think it does make a difference just in terms of like being able to stand up to get changed. Like I found that really hard having to lie down in a van to like get your clothes on. It's just irritating. Um, And yeah, any, on something like this, anything that can make you feel that little bit better um, is going to help. So just take, if people offer you that, I would like definitely take it. Um, because... You get a shower as well, presumably, if you're in someone's house compared to the van. Yeah. And that can make all the difference. When I ran around the Isle of Man, it's nothing compared to the jog. It's, it's only 100 miles and I did it over six days. I actually, I did plan it out, but it was easier because I wasn't going for FKT or anything. But I just got in touch with their local running club and people were so kind. Like they actually dropped my big bag with my laptop in that I was making the film with every night and they uh, so they dropped my bag at the next person's house um, and then the next person w- was running with me and then like came their partner came to pick me up and and it was really nice everyone put me up for the whole six nights and fed me and everything so if you reach out on Facebook groups or or um yeah some local running forums and things like that you might be really surprised by by who you can get to support you but then it does mean you're a little locked in as to where you get to I suppose um so it can have upsides and downsides so um people are usually really flexible but um yeah (laughs) you could just see how it goes it'd be an adventure yeah I can also put you in touch with so I was coaching a guy called Paul who's currently running the coastline of the UK and is due to finish in about a month he stayed at my house the other week. Did he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, I'm sure he'd be great to like, if you chat to him about where he stayed in Wales for that bit as well. Well, he's there now, isn't he? Well, yeah. Sure. Mad. He's like smashed it. Cool. Do you have any other FKT questions? Does that help, Graham? No, that really helps. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Good luck with the planning. And if you want any more help with it let me know and you've got to go beat the record before <laughs> the next person does who's going for it after before you um matt evans is going for it he was going to go for it this year but he picked up a niggle so he didn't he didn't even try and i've forgotten the other guy's name he's doing it in july i think okay Not he was on for the record he was the on for the break. record this year but okay. um he twisted his ankle in pembrokeshire or just past pembrokeshire and it's relatively flat then afterwards. So he was definitely on for breaking the time by a fair chunk. But because he picked up the niggle, he just he, he couldn't wait for and he didn't he didn't want to damage himself too much. So he's going back again, yeah, July next year, I think. Okay. Cool. Well yeah, looking forward to seeing how your training goes for it. 
and we'll all celebrate when you beat Lisa's record. <laughs> I think he'll celebrate too because he's. I think he's sick of having it because he gets so many questions about it. <laughs> funny. Um, cool. Cheers, Graham. Um, Siobhan has asked, "Do you have any recommendation for women's running shorts?" Oh, women's running shorts. I do actually because I have the type of thigh that rubs together at the top. I don't know if Siobhan experiences the same problem. Even if I'm even when I got to my thinnest ever, my thighs still rub together at the top. So um I'm not one of those people with a thigh gap. So I or I can't wear those little shorts that are, you know, like the ones from the eighties. They just kind of go upwards and they're just fabric and they just dangle I can't wear those so I have to wear cycling shorts at the moment I'm actually wearing some hoka shorts so um they're just these um little cycling shorts I can't wear anything that's not a cycling short because it just rides up otherwise um my favorite pair of shorts at the moment um I'm not (laughs) gonna This is not going to make me popular at all because my favorite pair of shorts have been just sent in to me from this company called Soar, um, S-O-A-R, not S-O-R-E, which is a little bit of a conundrum with that name. Um, but they're a combination of a cycling short and then like a flappy bit around the edge. Um, not really sure why people do that. I think it's like a, like a fashion or modesty thing. Um, they're actually not designed exactly for women, but they just fit anyway. Um, but the reason that I'm not going to be popular because is because these this pair of shorts costs 125 pounds um i think that's ridiculous i would never ever pay that for a pair of shorts in my life it's only because i'm a gear test i get sent all this new stuff um but they are really good so they've got these um little um gel pockets in the back i put um you can even put a water bottle in them they're like um they're just like you know the front pockets you get on a running pack they're, mm. they're like that um I wish I had them down but they're over in the other room um they're, they're like that but there's two in the back there's a little zip pocket as well because I feel like you always need a zip pocket in things because you just need a key or a card you never want to lose something like that so I put my phone in one or my GoPro it'll even fit a GoPro and a bottle of water it's got a pulley at the front so you can tie it tight so they don't fall down they've got they've got a nice length to that because if, if the cycling shorts don't come down far enough they ride up so you've got to have well, these ones come down to like mid thigh which is really good and then they've got like this flappy bit around which just makes you makes it look like you're wearing a short now I know that Ron Hill do make a short like that Salomon also used to make a short like that and higher state also make a short like that so I would investigate Ron Hill and Higher State, especially if you're on budget, because they make, I think they call them twin skin. So they've got the cycling short bit and then either a scorch, like a little skirt or a, a flappy bit around. Um, so I'd go for them. The other short that I wear a lot is a short from Innovate from ages ago. I don't know if they still make them, but it's basically a cycling short that doesn't ride up because it's about half thigh length. So those would be my short recommendations. Cool, thanks. And I also really like um, the Rabbit Shorts. It's an American brand. It's actually made, everything's designed by women. Um, They're based in California. I'm not entirely sure if they post over to the UK, um, but they actually white label quite a lot of Hoka's kit. So when I get the Rabbit stuff, I get very excited because it's much better fitting and yeah, like much nicer quality. So um, I don't think they'll be as expensive as those, but they're Californian prices, so they might be. 
um because everything in california costs a fortune um but yeah rabbit really nice colors like really nice fit and also i have like before the lululemon ones but again they're really expensive but i do find like they last for ages um the quality is really good and you know if you if you find a pair of shorts that you like it might be worth just investing in them because they're going to last for a long time um well you would hope so at that price yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I'm with you like I hate it when I get shorts without like the zip pocket it's really irritating yeah or shorts that you can't put an iPhone in the, yeah. the innovate ones that I really like do have a pocket it's down the side and I can just get my iPhone in because I mean I I just take it because of safety taking photos making bits of film you just always have to have it with you so my favorite place is a pocket at the back uh zip pocket that fits an iPhone because it usually doesn't bounce around there yeah cool thanks any other questions from anyone do you have one Rachel no uh, I, I do yeah I was just fumbling with buttons <laughs> um I'm sort of um uh, running relatively shorter distances compared to others um but I feel like I've hit a bit of a plateau with my training um so I just wondered how you approach training generally and, and for races um, to sort of in, in improve your fitness. Um, so sometimes I look at training plans and I find the, the intervals are really complicated. Um, and then I just don't know how to go about it when I go out. So I was just wondering if if it's a case of just increasing your mileage or actually do you really need to knuckle down and do those complicated intervals? Um, what distance are you training for? um the, the furthest I've ran is 15k um so the race that I would like to do which would be the first race I've ever done is 10k um and I know I can run that distance and longer but um I, I usually stop and things like that and I think I just don't have very much confidence in my fitness yeah um so yeah I think first if you're running 15k um you're fit like that's like a really good level to be at and you know you should have the confidence that you know, if you can run that far, you're more than capable of doing the races that you want to. Hitting a plateau is normally because there's not enough stimulus there within your training. So in order to run faster, you need to run fast. So you do need to do those interval sessions, but they don't need to be complicated. I think sometimes people try and make them too fancy. Um, But what you could do is you can start off Um, by saying I'm going to do five minutes of hard work within an interval session so to do that you would do something like a 10 minute jog warm-up you do some drills and then a 10 minute jog warm-up there's a drill video um, in the app that you can see on how to do all of those and then five minutes of hard work so you can break that down doing one minute as fast as you can one minute walk repeat that five times 10 minutes jog cool down and it can be as easy as that And then what you want to do over time is slowly build up the interval for the speed that you're running. So let's say for two weeks, you do five minutes, one minute on, one minute off. Then after that, you can do 90 seconds on, one minute off. So slightly shorter rest compared to the interval. And you can slowly build that up until you're doing something like four times 20 minutes. I think for like a a main interval session, 20 to 25 minutes of like hard work if you're going for speed it is enough 
um, when you're going up the distances. So say you're training for a 10K, for example, there needs to be an element of your long run that is done at your desired tempo pace. So you might not be able to hit that in the beginning. Um, but again, you can break that down where, say, your long run is an hour. You can start off doing 10 minutes tempo within that. So you can do 20 minutes easy, 10 minutes at race pace, 20 minutes easy. So just keep it keep it simple. Like, you know, I think people try and make it complicated because they're trying to sometimes keep the sessions a little bit more interesting um, and mix it up. But essentially, you need to do the fast bits fast, the slow bits slow. And you can, there's different ways to do it. You can either jog your recoveries or walk your recoveries. I would definitely start off by like walking or standing still. Um, and then you can build up um, to jogging within it. Which watch do you have, by the way? Um, I have a Garmin, but it's the Bebo Active at the minute. Cool. Because you can make workouts. Have you used the workouts function on your watch? Um, I've attempted to. I need to have a look at it again, I think. But that's like a really handy way. It is a little bit fiddly. Um, but once you get used to using it, um, it's a really easy way of doing intervals. And your watch will then just beep at you when to go fast and when to slow down. Um, it's a lot easier to set the sessions um, either on the app or on a desktop computer um and yeah you can plan you can plan it so you just press the lap button when um you want to start your session and then it just runs through and it basically beeps at you and it will say on the screen depending on what wording you've put on that like run fast or slow down um if you want me to take you through how to do that just drop me an email and I can we can just have a quick call and I can show you how to do it but that's the workouts function on Garmin is really good, but you don't have to do the ones that they've programmed. You can set your own. Um, and another way of getting quicker as well is building like a hill element into your program. Um, that's, I was say that. <laughs> um, coming into winter, that is when a lot of people will do hill training. It's really good at building strength and speed. Um, and so I'm just starting a hill block as well. So I'm doing six by 60 seconds this week. So as quick as you can up really, really slowly coming back down. So I'll take like two and a half minutes to jog back down and I try and hit the same point on the hill each time, but that helps, um, develop leg speed as well. And then the last thing that you could do is putting strides in at the end of your runs. So, you do a nice easy run. Let's say it's a 30 minute easy run. The pace is irrelevant. You want it to be nice and slow. But in that last 10 minutes, you do strides. So with a stride, you do, again, there's a video on how to do them um, on the app. If you do five seconds build, you do five seconds as fast as you can, five seconds slow down, a minute jog, and then you go again. It's not an interval session. It's just that to help recruit those fast, fast twitch muscle fibers and to get your body moving as economically as possible. So just to recap, hitting a plateau, you need to increase your speed. So try and do an interval session once a week, start off with five minutes of hard work, and you can gradually increase that until you're at about 20, 25. Putting a hill session in, you probably wouldn't do intervals and hills. You might actually want to start with a hill block uh, about eight weeks and then go over onto that faster running and then putting strides in in at least one of your easy runs 
a week. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That that sounds much more manageable. Thank you. Yeah. I've got another idea as well for you, just based on what I've been doing to get me a bit faster. So I'm training for a path marathon and I've been just really regularly going to park run. Um, so you can, instead of having to go out and do your own session, you get a bit of friendly competition. Um, and like, say you're doing park run, your best effort is like half an hour. You've just done like as Carla said you don't really want to be doing more than 25 30 minutes of really hard work in the week um park runs a really great way to really get your speed up and get your legs turning over faster and just practicing what it feels like to breathe in that way and to feel those that kind of lactic acid building up in your body and push push through it so I found that park run has been a really good discipline thing for me um and the other thing that I do, it's not necessarily about speed, but the other thing you could do to make things different and to get yourself stronger is to wear a running pack. So if you have a running pack and you've got like a little bit of water, some snacks, waterproof in it, maybe then when you do 10K race, when you take the back the pack off because you don't need it, then you'll automatically feel a lot lighter and there's the potential that you could go a bit faster there as well. So there's lots of things like that you can do as well. Yeah, I think park run's a great one because you can also, um, you know, you can use it as your tempo session. And, you know, maybe one week you're like, okay, I'm going to start off and I'm going to go with the front guys and I'm going to try and stick with them for three minutes. And then the rest of the park run, I'm going to do easy. And then the next week you're going to do five and you gradually can build up that pace and having people to run with will make you quicker. Yeah. Like that fear of either getting caught or not being able to catch yeah yeah or that person with a buggy gone past you or a kid or a dog (laughs) get ready get ready for 11 year olds beating you (laughs) because oh yeah they regularly beat me (laughs) um and there's there's also sometimes at part run they do people with bibs on with specific times on so if you're like if you you're you know cracking a 28 minute park run and then you see the person with the 26 minute bib ahead of you you can lock onto that and you can be like oh right okay if I just keep this pace keep this pace having someone ahead of you like that to pace you in that way can be really really handy for running faster I like my friend just paced me to um like a post-birth fastest park run for me um and he just ran a little bit ahead of me the whole time made sure that I stick to that stuck at eight minute mile pace for the whole thing so yeah just something like that's good Um, using your watch to just check your pace is good and park run as well because it's a, a longer effort so just to quick look down and go am I still on eight minute miles or um whatever it is times it by three and you basically get your result but a bit more because <laughs> it's a bit more than three miles isn't it yeah. and just oh. give yourself a little bit of time as well like often we want to get quicker quite quickly and I think it can take a couple of months to start to see those changes but if you do all of this stuff and you can watch like I'll put this session up so you can watch back and um hear how to do everything again um, you know, just give yourself a little bit of time because you might feel that you're actually tired from doing the intervals and it might feel like you're going slower, but you're not like you're building that strength. So, mm. yeah, give yourself a couple of months or maybe even it might be quite good to go into a park run now, mm. do some hill reps for eight weeks yeah. and do one again and see if you're quicker. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, thank you I've I've done a few park runs this year and it does change my mindset and motivate me so I do quite enjoy that um but there was lots of tips there that I hadn't thought of <clears throat> I hadn't thought of using so thank you that was really all really good 
Pleasure. Um, I know you, well, we mentioned waterproofs in your backpack, Claire. Um, someone had a question the other day about, is it better to get a waterproof that fits close to your body that you can put your running pack over or is it better to get one that is a little bit bigger and can go over a running pack I don't know if you've got any thoughts yeah I do have I do have thoughts I have opinions (laughs) as well so my opinion personally is that I like to be able to put my running pack on under my waterproof so I like my waterproof to be I just get it one size bigger so that I can put it over the top and and do it up um hopefully try it out before you buy it um it depends what size of running pack you're obviously wearing but if it's a five liter pack you shouldn't need a huge amount of of exercising there if you're if you're doing mountain marathons and got a 15 liter pack then it might be a little bit different but if you're like you know got a five-ish liter pack I would get one that goes on the outside and the reason for that is um there's a couple of reasons really um, the first one is that if you're constantly wearing your pack over your running jacket, you can wear off the durable water repellent coating on it a lot quicker. Um, so then you've you know got water ingress and it's going to be less waterproof. Um, and the second reason is that um, you just you get really hot sometimes in a waterproof and you want to take it on and off quite quickly. So this is a really good way to just make sure that you can really easily as soon as you start getting too hot and you're getting sweat inside the waterproof, um, which is totally counterproductive. Even if it's drizzling, if it's a warm day, I would not wear a waterproof because you're wearing quick drying clothing, presumably. Um, The only reason I would wear a waterproof is if it was really cold, if it was really windy. And if I was about to get to the top of a mountain or something like that, and I was pre-wearing my waterproof to keep me safe and dry. Now, there is a slight caveat with that. Um, you do need to sort of have a bit of mountain sense to know when and when not to wear a waterproof if it is raining. Um, so if in doubt, wear it. Um, but just having it over the top like that just gives you a bit of extra ventilation because there's like a little bit of like it's less close fishing, it's less clammy. Um, and also added bonus, the things in your pack don't get wet if you've not already got them in plastic bags. If your actual pack gets wet, it does weigh you down a little bit more. So if you've got a dry-ish pack, you will have sweat between your back and the pack. But if you've got a dry-ish pack and everything's dry, then it's less heavy to carry as well. So I would always go one size up with the waterproof as well, just to just for to make it easy to get on and off. I um, when I take my waterproof off, um, I can do it while I'm running. So I'm running along, I take off my backpacks underneath and I just thread it through one of the arms of the backpack. It it is not the coolest look, but it's really handy if it's one of those days which is like, do I need it? Do I not need it? Oh, I'm getting a bit cold. Oh, now I'm not. And just um, varying it, um, I find works really well for me. Cool. Thanks. And do you have a favourite waterproof, like one that you found great? Um, yes, I, I did really like the Montaigne water, um, waterproof. Uh, what's the name of it? It's, it's like called Featherlight something or other waterproof. And then there's an Innovate waterproof, which I really like. Um, uh, the Trail Shell, I think that's the name of that one. I test so many. I, they're all got really long names. I forget them all. Um, so yeah, Innovate, Montaigne, whichever current lightweight running jacket that they do is really good. I've got one from Hoka and it's got a sideways zip. So I'm just trying that at the moment. Um, like the zip is asymmetrical. It goes across here and it's got thumb loops um, with uh, 
like little soft sort of mini mitts at the end, which is quite nice. Yeah, um, uh, waterproof with thumb loops is quite a nice thing um, for, for winter because it can keep your gloves a bit drier if you're wearing gloves or it can keep your hands a bit warmer if you're not at the stage where you need to put your gloves on yet. The only thing with a thumb loop that I find a little bit difficult with a waterproof is that I, if you want to look at your watch, you do have to keep unlooping it and, and pulling the whole waterproof back, which can be a little bit soggy <laughs> but um but yeah a thumb loop is, is it's nice to have if if you can find one with thumb loops cool thanks and a couple more questions one can you recommend a head torch yes i can i'm just actually testing budget head torches right now so i'll be doing a budget head torch film on my channel um but my two favorite head torches are here so, a bit bad. I didn't tell Claire I was going to ask her any of these questions, but you've got your <laughs> little <laughs> So um this uh these are my two favourite head torches. Um the first one is a silver uh you can find reviews of these on my channel if you just Google. If you want to know about any gear, Google whatever gear it is, head torches, the name of the product, whatever, plus wild ginger running. And if I've reviewed it, it should come up in the searches. So it's just um when I'm not here anymore, that's how you get my information. So this is the Silver Trail Runner Hybrid, um, and it's uh, really light. That's why I like it. Um, it's got a rechargeable battery. It's also got a, um, a red light at the back. So if you're doing any running on the roads, then you can turn it to put the red light on and it, and it just leaps at you like that. So for safety, um, it hasn't got any extra cords. So they've put the cord from the battery pack to the lamp inside the headband. So that's super good. Um, and it's just got um, several different light settings, very simple, like small, medium, large beam. Um, and you can rotate the head torch, and it lasts for a good few hours. Um, can't remember the exact stats, but it lasts for a good, nice long run. If you want um, a super bright head torch, the Silver Cross Trail 7 XT is a really good shout. Um, that I'm currently, every month, they give me one to win in my competition if you're a patron of mine. So um, that's a really super bright head torch. It's got a big battery pack, but what they give you is a big wire that goes back from the back of the head torch down into your backpack. So you don't have to carry that battery pack on your head. Um, this one is on the head, but it's super light. It's only like 100 or so grams, this head torch. The other head torch I really like, um, this is about 100 grams as well. Uh, it's the Petrol, uh, Petrol? Petzl Swift, R, Zwift RL. Um, so the RL stands for reactive lighting and you can have that on or off. So the reactive lighting is something that it basically, it's it, it guesses how much light you need based on the ambient light around you and it puts out what it thinks you need. I personally don't like that because I like to be in full control of what light that I'm putting out. And also, if you're running with others with head torches on, then it thinks that there's more light than there is, if you know what I mean. So um, so that's less less good. So I always use it without, uh, without that on. But the reason I like this head torch is that it's only 100 grams, kicks out about 900 lumens. Oh, this one was 450 lumens, by the way. Um, 900 lumens on full and then um, half that on the other settings but the reason I like it is because it's got this split headband and um, all the weight is up front but it's only 100 grams so it's fine it doesn't bounce around very comfy um but the split headband uh, means you can put your ponytail through that bit and I just think that that's really comfy compared to this one where you have to um, do something about your ponytail either up or down um around this um 
battery at the back, at the back there. So that's the Silver Trail Runner um, uh, Hybrid or the Petzl Zwift are my two favourite head torches. Are they both waterproof as well? Yes, yes. Both. I wouldn't put them in a stream, but yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so Petzl and Silver are the are kind of the head torch brands in the UK. Um, you can get other brands as well, but these are like the main contenders. Um, and they are always really good quality and they're always water resistant um, for running in the rain because that's they're designed for that aren't they they're designed for being used in the winter so for trail running um you need about 200 lumens minimum light um but if you're just running on roads and just using it to sort of light up the way you could get away with 100 lumens um if you want to navigate on trails then the brighter the better basically you can get head torches that go a thousand lumens plus but obviously with that higher brightness you just need a, like a bigger battery um the, hi- the higher the brightness level and the longer it lasts for basically the bigger the battery pack you need which is obvious but you need to work out what you need like if you're just going for a two-hour run um through some trails not navigating then then these will be perfect thanks and then last one just on shoes what are your favorite trail shoes that you've tried one for like easy rolling trails and two for like technical more grippy trails and I guess actually sorry three as we're going into winter like muddy trails oh yes um well (laughs) no a fair few things about shoes Um, I haven't actually found my perfect pair of trail running shoes yet. I'm still waiting to find one. Um, I really like a wide fitting shoe. So I've recently been trying some really good wide fit, dedicated wide fit shoes from Ultra and also from um, Topo as well. The thing with Ultra is that they're zero drop and I can't really run for a long time in zero drop just because I don't have the calf strength and the Achilles strength to just cope with that different angle. The drop, by the way, is the difference from the heel to the toe of the shoe. So if it's zero drop it completely flat and there's no sort of heel stack under the heel which is more normal for especially for a road running shoe road running shoes can have like a little bit of a heel um about 10 mil in some cases a lot of trail shoes have eight mil um but then there's quite a lot of trail shoes that also have four mil as well and ultras obviously zero drop so i struggle to run more than eight miles in ultras before picking up a, a left ankle injury um but i do really like the wide fit of them so i'm just like oh why don't they make a transition shoe that's eight mil (laughs) um so I will email them um Topo make a wide fit shoe which is five mil drop which I've been really enjoying lately um both of those would be for the rolling trails they're they're kind of for mixed terrain um not super super grippy but not like um and enough padding to do everything so those two would be um, for kind of multi-terrain the topo has less padding actually so um i've been even though they're five mil drop and wide fit which is ideal they need more cushioning for me to do a long distance in so i'm i'm still not even close to finding my perfect trailing shoe um the some some shoes that people really get on well with are the salomon speed cross um so I've got the new sixes at the moment, Speed Cross Six. Um, and they're a really good multi-terrain shoe. They've got enough padding to go on the roads, but they've got um, 
uh, quite deep lugs, like five mil lugs that are quite widely spaced so that they don't collect a load of mud, mud can fall out. Um, so the Salomon Speed Cross is a shoe that a lot of people really, really like for trail running. Um, and they're good for multi-terrain and they're good for quite sloppy stuff as well um if you're going really really sloppy it's got to be innovate mud claws all the way so they're like football boots and so this is you wouldn't want to wear them on roads at all you wouldn't want to really wear them on any kind of hard packed path this is for proper fell running where you're not really on the paths you're just like hiking up a running up a mountain and running back down basically so the mud claws would be brilliant for that um in between would be the cross talons from Innovate. They are they are grippy, but you can do a bit more multi-activity with those. Um, what other shoes have I been enjoying lately? Uh, basically, anything from Innovate or Salomon always wins with me. Um, yeah, that's basically what I've been enjoying lately. The Ultras, the Salomon and the Innovate. Cool. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. No problem so much for your time today that was awesome so many good hints and tips there and you can all go back and have a little look through that again um Claire if you stay there I'll say goodbye to everyone else and yeah thanks everyone for joining and I will chat to you soon even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.